Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills Podcast. If you are interested in more of what we are doing, our sermons or the other podcasts that we create, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. So I promised in the sermon that we would deliver a podcast on these couple of verses so that I didn't have to deal with it in the sermon. It kind of came back to bite you now, didn't it? Because you made a promise and you probably shouldn't have. You probably just should have said, I'll talk about it another time. Yeah, or never. (laughs) Never. And the problem is this isn't even, this wasn't even supposed to be mine, but whatever. Yeah, the truth was that sermon was stolen from me. And to express my bitterness, so occasionally Chris and I will just adjust the sermon schedule just based upon demands, and he's been asked to speak somewhere else in a certain date, so he asked to trade, and I was fine with it. I expressed that I was fine with it, but I did express my disgust occasionally as I walked by his office. I said these three words. I said, bridegroom of blood and then i'd walk away (laughs) you keep saying you're fine with it but you kept doing that so then i I was like is he really fine with it yeah he began to doubt whether i was okay with it because i kept saying bridegroom of blood because he stole the bridegroom of blood passage from me which is a unique passage isn't it chris i mean yes we've got an interesting phrase here we've got something going on you know we I had a chance to hear Chris touch on it lightly, but uh, we're going to go a little deeper. Touch on it lightly. Uh, (laughs) Exodus 4, 23. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took out a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So it, it gets mentioned a couple times. Just yet. Yeah, which times. is why you walking past bridegroom of blood <laughs> makes total sense. <laughs> So this is weird. It is weird. The uh, circumcision subject is is weird, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, it, it is. It is. It uh, shows up in in many places, and and we see that word even used at different times and in different situations. And you go, okay, what's going on here? And it's probably, you know, worth saying. We see it in reference to an uncircumcised heart. Yep. Um, and even an uncircumcised ear, which is interesting. Uh, Jeremiah 6, uh, verse 10 says, To whom shall I speak and give the warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn, and they take no pleasure in it. I, I couldn't help but wondering, I mean, it's just a stretch, I'm had a time to flesh it out a little bit, but even First Corinthians one eighteen, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It almost, you know, almost made me think, you know, uncircumcised ears, maybe right. they can't, you know, it's nonsense to them. They're totally. not even able to take it in. Totally. 
we've uh, we've got Moses coming up here in, in a chapter two, just uh, talking about his uncircumcised lips. You know, sure. So, an interesting reference too. But even we can find some different ones that are a little bit more obscure. But even in uh, Leviticus, um, Leviticus chapter nineteen, verse twenty-three says, "When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food." Then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you. It must not be eaten. Then in the fourth year you can eat it. It should be holy. You say, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it depends on how that word's translated because it also can be translated as uncircumcised. Now we've got uncircumcised fruit trees, which is an interesting thing here. So what we got to come back and talk about this a little bit. What, what do we got going? We know, you know, the, the origin finds itself in Genesis 17. Sure. And if you're in Genesis 17 and you're thinking, okay, where does this start? Let's let's work back a little bit. You know, I, I would hate to say that this episode is going to be a biblical theology of circumcision because it's not really, but we are going to work a little bit through the Bible, show you where it shows up, what what's going on. So what we have in Genesis chapter 17 is there's been a number of things that have occurred, right? In Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, leave your land. Yep. I want you to go into a new land. In so doing... At one point, there's a famine. God then says to Abram, I'm going to take you down to Egypt. He goes down to Egypt. He lies about his wife. He's afraid of what Pharaoh's going to do. And then eventually, Pharaoh gives him a whole bunch of stuff to leave the land. One of them seems to be Hagar, this Egyptian slave to his wife. She becomes a maiden to Sarah or Sarai. And then in chapter 15, God again says, I'm going to make you, you're going to have a child and that's great. And then in 16, Genesis 16, Sarah can still not have kids. And so she takes this woman named Hagar, this Egyptian servant, which clearly comes from Exodus, or sorry, Genesis 14 and 13, like this whole story of the Exodus from Egypt. Like it's really the first Exodus of Egypt, right? It happens all throughout the Bible. And in 17, sorry, 16, Hagar and Sarah get into this little bit of a tiff because Hagar has a baby named Ishmael. Mm -hmm. And then in 17, now Abraham is 99 years old. So that's 24 years after Genesis 12 occurs. So God calls him out of the land at 24, or sorry, 75. 24 years later now, 99 years old in chapter 17. The Lord appears to Abram and says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me, be blameless. I will make a covenant between you and me and you may multiply greatly. And they have this great conversation, and then God says to Abraham in verse 9, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, if you're listening to this with your your kids in the room, I don't think we're going to touch on anything like, Really graphic, but just so that you're aware, this whole episode is about this. And so if you're thinking... It might create for some interesting yeah, questions. Yeah, let's, let's wait till later. <laughs> then push pause right now. You know, put the bambinos somewhere else, let them do their thing, and then bambinos. come back and push play. So here's the thing. Why is this happening here in chapter 17? And I think... I've read a ton of commentaries on this. This is one of those questions that plagues me, which you make fun of me for all the time. Yes, I do. When I have pl- questions that are plaguing me. Should, Here's, I be, should I be ashamed of that? No. I probably shouldn't. No, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. So <laughs> uh, I think if <laughs> pulling it all together. It's coming I, together. Yeah, I think if, if, if I can make sense of it the best way I can, 
and, and it, it's not crude, but some could take it in a crude manner. Up until this point, Abram has not trusted God with this element of his life. This, we might say, member or appendage. Like, there's something going on where Abraham trusts God to some extent, but because he has just birthed a child through a slave named Ishmael, he clearly has taken matters into his own hands occasionally with this this element of his life. And part of what God is saying, and this is this is like the best you know expression of this I can I've gotten from somebody, and it's the one I'm willing to stand on right now, is that God is is giving him a sign with this part of his body so that Abram looks down and always remembers that's God's. Yeah. And I, and it, if that seems crude or that seems you know somewhat ridiculous, step back from it a little bit and realize it's a pretty common thing that's happening throughout most of the ancient world at that time, right? Yeah. Dating quite a ways back. Way, way before this. So even the the act of circumcision itself isn't a unique thing. It's more, I think, I think, and based on some of these commentaries that I've read, what God is saying is, I want you to trust me with all of you. This mark will remind you of that. And, and think of the timing, how, how even that delay in there. I mean, you're, you're going to be the father of nations and all this stuff, and 24 years later. Totally. And getting to that age, I mean, you, you would probably need some kind of reminder too going okay and in in that regard it's it's hard to hard to criticize the taking the action with with Hagar and 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 Ishmael coming along especially when it was Sarah's idea I, I mean yeah some of these things all just make sense like if you really bury yourself in the text you just go this is a normal person and you know under normal circumstances that makes some seemingly normal decisions that anyone else in the rest of the world might make the downside is they weren't the decisions that God wanted him to make. And so at this point, God is re-upping. You know, at this point, Ishmael is 11 or 12, depending on when he was birthed, because they had him around 87 years old. So he'll be 13 by the time that the next child is born. But the key here is the next child who's born of Abram is born from supernatural means, right? The, Abram and Sarah finally have a child. She's 90. He's 100 at that point. So it's a year from this point. Yeah, I would think God's involved there. He has to be. <laughs> he has to be involved. And so part of what God is doing here is making a mark that says every child from here on out is mine. Now, Abram then goes back and circumcises Ishmael and brings the rest of the family into the fold. But it's a common practice in Abram's family that this is what's going on. So if we take all of that to be true and we start to think that part through and we go, okay, so God is is declaring Abram is now faithful. Abram is going to do things the way he's supposed to be doing. And the next child that Abram is going to have is supernatural. So then he he gets this mark, and this mark is supposed to set Abram apart, and it's supposed to set all of Abram's family apart. What I think is interesting is when we get to Exodus 4, Zipporah seems pretty upset that she has to do this to her son, yeah. right? Yeah, it's, yeah, she's saying it. I mean— Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Sure. And if you're wondering, like, why is that has no connection, then they add verse 26 to just tell us, no, that's definitely when it happened, right? Right when the, the cut happens, then she says, that's when she said a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So there's a close tie there. So it's saying Zipporah, for whatever reason, wasn't going to do this to their children. Or didn't want to. Yep. Correct. Yep, was resistant. Which... Zipporah is a Midianite, which is connected to Abram, right? That's one of Abram's later children. So there's really no reason why she shouldn't be practicing this unless 
maybe this branch of the Midianites has decided they're going to do things their own way. They don't want to be a part of the, the whole Abraham clan thing anymore. All of those are speculations that people throw out that nobody really knows for sure. But at a minimum, Moses should know better. Moses would have been circumcised. And you would think Jethro would have certainly known about it, you know. And Yeah. If he's a high priest of the Lord, he knows his part in this, and he should be able to step, you know, step back and go, yeah, we're going to do this. So here's where it gets a little weird. And you're like, well, it's already been weird. No, it, verse 24, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. There's some trouble there. Yep. In Hebrew, we th- th- there's pronouns there, clearly. One of them says he and one of them says him. They're in those forms. The problem is we don't know what they're addressing. The he and the him could be Moses. It could be the he and the him could actually be connected to firstborn son. That's why I had you read part of verse 23. Did you remember the very last yeah. thing that was said? said to Pharaoh, I will kill your firstborn son. Yeah. So it could be just as logically expressed in verse 24, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses' firstborn son and sought to kill his firstborn son. If that's the case, then that changes the story pretty yeah. drastically. And it, And again, it's not a... I think some people read this story and they're like, oh, God is out to get Moses or he's out to get Moses' firstborn son. If you're not obeying in the way that you're supposed to be obeying, yeah. God's getting attention here. Are there less drastic ways to do that? Sure. Did God do those previously? Possibly. We don't know. We yeah. Everyone wants to make a big deal out of this couple of verses. We don't know how many times God's even been commanded by, or Moses has been commanded by God to do this. We don't, all we have in verse chapter three is the, the bare minimum of the burning bush story. Right. You can't tell me those two didn't sit for hours and talk. Yeah. There was, wasn't more involved. Sure. And so we're going to get what, a couple hundred words out of that story. Like that's, there's nothing, it's not giving us all that's going on. And so let's say Moses goes home and knows what he's supposed to do and still doesn't do it. And he asks his father-in-law, I'm going to go you know, to Egypt, I'm taking your, my, my children and, and your daughter with me. And Jethro says, absolutely. And then on the way, God says, it's going to get way harder before it gets easier in the second scene that we talk about. And then the scene three right here, you still haven't done what I've asked you to do. Yeah. It, it, I can't help but let my mind go toward Abraham and Isaac. Totally. And you think, okay, would he go after his son? Well, what what is what is Abraham asked to do with Isaac? Sure. So... It, we, it is about obedience here for sure. I mean, it's got to be. To me, there's no other way to make sense of chapter four unless it's about obedience. The question then is whose disobedience is it? Is it Zipporah's? Is it Moses's? Is it the firstborn son, which we find out later his name? It, you know, is it him who is not wanting to go through with this? And so he's been saying, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. We don't know. And none of those things really necessarily matter. All we know is that it's about disobedience and it's about God saying, we're going to make sure that this is right. Zipporah then gets really upset because she has to do it, which would suggest Moses is probably the one who's sick or who's about to die. So then she cuts off the, the foreskin. And then it says she touched Moses's feet with it which is a euphemism in the Bible for not necessarily feet, but anything unclean leading all the way up to the privates. So it's possible that she cuts a piece off of her son, touches her husband's privates, and then that's what alleviates the whole thing. And you go, why is that happening? I don't know that any of it had to happen. One of the things we need to be careful with the text is not reading into 
there was some magic spell that needed to be done here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Zipporah might just be doing it because she's like, well, fine. And she does it. And then it she's might be like, a, his blood is on you. That's, you know? that's what I'm saying. Like it could yep. be an act of judgment. It could be an act of anger. It could be any of those symbolic. Things. And at that point, it's not that this is now prescriptive for every other person in scripture to touch something yeah. to their we husband. We don't find that she was told to do that. Correct. Part, yeah. So we need to be careful with what we read into the text. We need to be careful with what we read out of the text. Descriptive versus pres- prescriptive here. Totally, totally. <laughs> and the and the key here is that that God meets Moses on the way back to Egypt in a lodging place. Moses still hasn't done what he's supposed to do. Whether it's the poorest fault, whether it's Moses's fault, whether it's the firstborn son's fault, or whether it's all of their fault collectively, the the wrong has to be set straight. Meaning, if God is going to save the firstborn of Israel. He needs to bring Moses' child, Gershom, into the fold. That's really the part of the story here of what's, what's going on. So circumcision then is, is something that, it again, keeps showing up in Scripture. Yep. And there, again, I've made references to the other things we see, uh, but circumcision of the heart then becomes a subject. And uh, Deuteronomy 10 And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Behold, the Lord your God, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and heaven of heavens, and the heaven of heavens, and the earth with all, all that is in it. Yet the Lord sets his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all people are as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and for the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And that interesting, you know, saying, listen, your, your mind and circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Stop being stubborn. It's this commit your heart to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it, really, that's what, you know, the circumcision was. The physical cir- circumcision was this sign- signifying you're devoted to God, your right. God's people you're his possession but now it's this circumcise your hearts people get your hearts with me we see more of that obviously throughout scripture in romans 2 and other places sure and we as westerners love literary design and and we love literal things right so we think circumcise the heart what what part of the heart are we going to cut off clearly it's not talking about cutting a part of the heart off that makes no sense (laughs) but if you go back to the, the genesis 17 thing that we brought up a little bit ago the idea that God is marking Abram to remind Abram who he belongs to, which is what you're saying. This it, circumcision almost becomes the first version of baptism. This this association with I was once this, but now I am this. I used to be this, but now there's a mark on me that says I'm this. And because I'm I'm this now, because I'm different, because I'm set apart in some way, I live this way. I act this way. Or in, in God's case here, I am your God. There is no other God before you. You, you. There's no one else that you're going to serve. You're not going to build statues to the Baals. You're not going to go chase after Ashtoreth. You're not going to you know, serve 
Ra or one of the other gods in the ancient world. You're going to serve me. I'm yours, and I'm proving it by marking you. So now I want you to mark your hearts. Yeah. Set your hearts to me. Or later on, set your ear to me. Circumcise your ears so that they only listen to me. You know, you, you could go on down the body here, right? What Your eyes. I want you to circumcise your eyes, and I want you to focus them on me. They, even the trees idea, right? I want... There's no way to circumcise a tree. If you're, you know, if you're a liter, literal person, you're like, well, how do I do that? That's not possible. And you're out in your front yard looking <laughs> at the oak, like, I don't know what parts what. Stop. Chill. The the idea is you're setting your trees apart. So the physical mark that's on Abram then gets utilized all the way through the scriptures of someone who's being set apart. Uh, at times, someone is doing the circumcision of the heart or the eyes or the or the the mark on the body. Other times you're taking it upon yourself to do it in order that you might show everyone I'm set apart. And so that's why I would make that connection to baptism here. So it's a really beautiful concept if you think about it. God's saying, I'm I'm yours. I want you to be mine, and I want you to focus your attention and your heart on me. Are you willing to do it? Yeah. Romans 2. Circumcision is a matter of the heart. That's where it meant. That's what it comes down to that's absolutely it and so now if you attach all of those concepts together and put it back into the exodus 3 or sorry exodus 4 concept here so exodus 4 starting in verse 23 all the way to 26 then that passage starts to make a little bit more sense to us and we go okay clearly moses has not set his child apart in the way that he should is god overreacting god never does that so we need to back off of our judgment toward god and say Clearly, a point needs to be made here, and God is making it. And from here on out, Moses, in many ways, is going to be wholly devoted to God. He's still going to question. He's still going to have moments where he has trouble with God, but he's wholly devoted to God.